I told the first service, you know, if somebody from Tacoa, Georgia, when you hear C Company or E Company, that has a whole different meaning. Because uh, if you've watched Band of Brothers, have you ever seen Band of Brothers? That's, that's Tacoa, Georgia. That's where the three miles up, the three miles down is. So anybody here that's feeling super healthy, come on down and we'll find out how healthy you are. That mountain is crazy. When they say three miles up, this is what it means, three miles up, looking at the dirt right in your face as you're running up the hill. So uh, it's uh, amazing uh, that those men could do that over and over and over again. It is good to be back with you. I, I do consider myself a distant part of your church. Uh, this is the fourth year. Uh, I love your pastor, Jimmy, and, and, and grateful uh, for his leadership here. Uh, this is a, a, a church that I look forward to coming back to. Uh, not every church I preach in do I look forward to going back to. I just, I'm just going to be honest. Uh, it's not that I don't love the church. I love the church. But there's a lot of churches that, uh, that are still meeting uh, that I'm not sure why. And that's just that's harsh. I know that's harsh, but you're just like, let's go do something. And uh, they're not really willing to go do anything. And so I'm grateful for this church. Every time I come back, it seemed like you've grown. So the first service was packed, and this service is about packed. And so I'll say what I said in the first service. Y'all better start talking to somebody uh, about doing something else bigger or something. I don't know. Uh, I'll let him worry about that. That's why he's the pastor, and I'm the evangelist. I get to just come in and mess it up, right? All right, so uh, I, for those of you that never heard me, uh, I'm going to give the, the short version of my story, and it leads into where we're going, so just humor me. Uh, I was born in a home, a good home. I always want to make sure I say that. Both my parents are past. They're, my mom deceased, uh, died right before Christmas this past year. It was very difficult. Um, you know, nobody wants to lose a mama. I lost my dad in 2011, didn't want to lose him either. But I, I always want to honor them because I had good parents. They weren't bad parents. They were good parents. Um, uh, Mom was Baptist. Dad was Catholic. I was raised confused. And so <laughs> that's just the reality. And listen, I've, had, I, I, I've, I've shared this story so many times, so many places, and there'll be couples that will come up and say, yeah, that's us. And I'm looking, I'm like, yeah, so your kids are confused right now. They're trying to figure out what in the world is going on. And so that was me. I was raised confused. And, and, and not only was I raised confused, um, I, I, I also, uh, my mom was very good in the summertime. She made sure she worked. My dad worked. Uh, and she made sure we were busy. Uh, so like every year, she would sign us up for swimming lessons. Like I took swimming lessons for like six years or something like that. I was like, Mom, like I'm doing backstroke. I'm, you know, I'm, I can swim. I don't need swimming lessons. But it was an activity. And then she'd sign us up for tennis and and then she also took full advantage of the free child care that every church offers in summer called Vacation Bible School. And she was Baptist, remember, and so she would sign us up in all the Baptist Vacation Bible Schools consecutively week after week after week after week. And those of you that work in Vacation Bible School, you realize that Southern Baptists use the same theme, the same curriculum, the same stories. So by the end of the summer, I'm like, I can teach this stuff. Like, I'm brainwashed. Like, I knew the answers. I had the answers. And, and so I, I just think it's important that we, we, we recognize that sometimes not having the answers is not the, the only thing. There's more to it, obviously. But I, I, if you'd asked me at that point in time if I was a Christian at any point in time before the age of 24, I would have told you yes. The reason I would have told you yes is because we went to church regularly, every Christmas and every Easter regularly, and and and... I went to, to vacation Bible school. Uh, I, I knew the stories. I, I believed in God. Uh, I, 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 I just I believed the story of the cross. I, I believed all of it. But I was not a Christian. I wasn't even close to being a Christian. I also would have told you I was a Christian because all my Christian friends that went to church every Sunday and every Wednesday, well, they looked just like me. They drank the same things I drank. They smoked the same things I smoked. They talked like I talked. They chased the same girls. I chased, there was no difference between them and me, and therefore I would say I was a Christian because they were Christians, and I, they looked just like me. And so, but it was at the age of 24 when I had a real encounter with God that changed my life forever. And, and in that encounter, which was on TV, I'd been drinking all day, passed out, woke up, Billy Graham was on the TV, 
and I gave my life to Christ that day. And in the midst of all of that happening, I'll never forget the reality that hit me that I crucified Jesus, that my sin, I was personally responsible for Jesus being on the cross. The things that I loved and I pursued and I chased put him on the cross. And so a personal responsibility was there in that moment, and I'll, I'll never forget the brokenness that came out of me because of that. And in the midst of that brokenness, what really stands out more than anything else is something, or better said, someone invaded me. Someone who was not there before, had never been there before, all of a sudden was there, and his presence was very real. That was the Holy Spirit. And he's never left me. He's never checked out on me. I've given him ample opportunities to get away from me, and he's still with me. And there's never been a day in my life where I've doubted he's right here with me since I gave my life to Christ. And, and, and again, I, I wish it was because I knew all the answers or had all the No, it's despite me. It's his goodness that we just sang about. It's his mercy. Uh, there's no other explanation as why Jesus hangs out with me. Because I struggle with sin just like we all struggle with sin. We're going to talk about that this morning. And, 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 and here, let me tell you this, the burden that I have. It's important you understand this. I, 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 I met Jimmy, Pastor Jimmy, during the Gotel Crusade. And we had some good times, and that was a great event. It probably in all the years, and I've done a lot of years of those crusades with Rick Gage, like 20-plus years, the crusade here was probably the best crusade we ever had. Uh, just incredible response from God and the people, and, and it was awesome. But my heart is the church. It's the local church because this is God's people. This, this is the plan. This is the strategy. There's no plan B. It's the church to reach the world for the gospel. And, and, and my burden for the church is that there's a lot of people sitting in the church that don't really understand what it means to follow Jesus. And, and then there's those that who, who do understand and have made that decision to follow Jesus, and they have gotten so used to Jesus that they're really not involved in the game anymore. They're, it's mundane. It's just they're coming to church. They're here. They're going to write a tithe check. They're going to they're do the things they know they're supposed to do. But they're going to stop right there. And, and the reason for that is simple, and we're going to talk about that today in Scripture. The reason for that is sin. That's what sin does to us. See, sin impacts Christians too. I, I don't know if you realize that or not, but it does. And it, 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 it's, it's like a cancer in our soul. And if we're not quick to deal with it, it will eat us alive. And, and the problem is that the church is full of people, myself included, who want to manage their sin. You know, we, we're going to stay away from the big bad sins, but we're going to manage our little pet sins. And what happens when that happens and when we do that is we really grow a, a hard heart, a hard heart and a cold heart towards God. And so we're going to talk about a guy today who early on in his life, God said about him, he was a man after his own heart. His name was David. But God made that statement when the he made it through Nathan, when the transition, when, when he was proclaiming that, that to, to Saul, King Saul, that your ministry, so your, your kingdom is over, your leadership is over. God has chosen a man after his own heart to replace you, and it was David. And we're going to learn today what that looks like, what that means to have a, man, to have a heart after God's own heart, and, and how we live our lives daily. And so, I don't know if you know the story, maybe you're new, maybe you never heard the story, but we're going to, we're going to walk through the story that got David to the place where he uh, was in big trouble. And uh, so 2 Samuel chapter 11 is where we'll launch from. I want to encourage you, if you have a Bible, take it, uh, mark it. This is, listen, I'm going to be honest with you. This is a ton of content today. So this is a go back home and read it through again uh, day because uh, there's just a lot of content. I, I told the guys coming in after the first service, there's no way I'm going to get to all those slides. Just forget it. Just stay with me, hang with me uh, because it's just a lot of content. But I think it's imperative that we understand the backstory before we dive into what God does. So uh, 
chapter 11, verse 1. It says, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him in all of Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house. And he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one, and one said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam? I want you to circle that because that's a research for later. And it just makes this story all, all the more intense. Eliam, just circle that name and go do research. Uh, the, wife of the, of the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from the uncleanliness, and then she returned to her house, and this woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Now David's got a mess on his hands. First of all, he's in the wrong place. He's at home when those armies are at battle. And so he's chosen to kind of lay back. We, we don't know why. Uh, we, we don't know what he's thinking or what his thinking was, but we do know this. He's not where he's supposed to be. And, and he's home, and, and it, it even get, draws a picture of the Word of God. This is the inspired Word of God. God. It, the, the picture drawn here is he's lounging on his couch while, the, while his warriors are fighting. And so it's just not a good, it's not a, it's not a normal picture of David. So we don't know what's happened, but it's, it seems that complacency has set in. And, and he's lounging around, he, and, and he, he's walking, and he walks out on his roof, and he overlooks and he sees a beautiful woman. And, and instead of leaving that right where it was and just walking away, in his apathy, in his desensitized place where he was, he follows that desire that he had into a great sin. And now there's a child involved or going to be involved. And so what does David do? David does everything in his power to manage and to cover up his sin. So he calls for Uriah to come back. And then he offers Uriah the opportunity to stay with his wife twice. He got him drunk twice and fed him great food, uh, but both times Uriah refused to go into his wife because he had more honor than David. He had people fighting the war that he respected, and he wasn't going to go do something that they could not do while they were fighting the war. So then David does what I consider one of the most evil things I've ever seen, especially in Scripture, he writes a letter to Joab telling Joab to send Uriah to the front of the line in a very dangerous spot where he would surely be killed. So he writes that letter, he seals that letter, and then he hands it to Uriah to deliver to Joab. I mean, how deep are we willing to go to cover up our sin? It's easy to sit back and look at David and say, hey, man, that dude ain't right. But how far do we go every day to cover up our sin? It's real. So in this effort to manage sin, David seals the fate of Uriah. He goes and he dies in battle. It's very interesting reading to read Joab's response back to David in, through a messenger. You just need to go study. Just go read it. It's, I'm, it's, it's just crazy how evil this whole plot was. So now Uriah's dead. No one will know that Uriah didn't go in to Bathsheba when he was in town. So it's covered. It's all fixed except for God. Never forget the God factor. Hebrews chapter 4, I shared this yesterday uh, with the Micronesian uh, people out of Hebrews chapter 4, verse, I think it's 13. 
it says nothing is hidden from God. Nothing. God sees everything. Does that not intimidate? It intimidates me. Does not not I mean, like we're on a screen or in his mind. I don't know how it works, but he, he sees everything. Nothing is hidden from him. He knows the intentions of our heart. As we sit here right now, he knows what you're thinking right now. So if it's bad about me, you're in trouble. I, I, I mean, he's huge. And I think sometimes because we play with sin and we pet that sin and we protect that sin, we lose sight of how big God is. He's huge. And there's no hiding from him. David struggles with this when he's confronted, but we find later he's been struggling all along. But the confrontation is interesting. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich, the other poor. The rich man had, a very, had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he had brought it up, and, he grew, and it grew up with him and with his children. And it used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. That tells you how valuable that guest was. But he took from the poor man his lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger, as he's hearing Nathan tell him the story, then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. I'm going to stop there because I, I want to tie something into this. That fourfold is important for you to understand. You'll find it again in Luke chapter 19 with Zacchaeus. When Zacchaeus said to Jesus, if I've defrauded anyone of anything, which was a joke because that's all he did, I will restore it fourfold. And the reason he said that and the reason David said that is because Levitical law, for the, the highest criminal punishment there was for defrauding someone, grossly defrauding someone, was to repay them four times over with whatever you defrauded them of. And so this is a strong picture here that David is saying the man must repent. That's exactly what he's saying. The man must repent. Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much, as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord and do what is evil in his sight? Can you imagine this moment? David, outwardly thinking, hey, I've got it solved. The, the stress is over. The only person that knows is God. Yes, he does. You see, that's the attitude we bring into it sometimes. The only person that knows is God. That's the problem. He does know. And, and God does not entertain sin. He's holy. He's righteous. He's just. But I want to remind you also, this is a man, and this blows my mind, this is a man whom God said some years earlier, David is a man after my own heart. Fully knowing, because God knows everything, what he was going to do. So why did God call him a man after his own heart, knowing that he would be rebuked like this. 
That's a strong rebuke from the Lord. Basically, I've given you everything, dude, and more than one of everything. And it's not enough for you? You've got to kill somebody else and steal his wife? And God says this is a man after God's own heart. I don't know if that's conflicting in your mind like it does in mine. But the next part of what we're going to look at is going to explain this. Because I want you to understand, everybody in this room, we all struggle with sin. We may not be thinking to this level, but let me remind you of Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's it's always good to read through the Beatitudes. Because Jesus kind of messes everything up. Remember what he said about murder? If you hold hate in your heart for someone. Let me just stop there. I got more time in this service, so I'll say this. That just means you're going to get a longer version. And I didn't bring a bottle of water, and so I'll, I'll just I'll be here all day. So I have a, I have I have six sons, two daughters. I have eight kids. I know I'm crazy, and uh, we chose the last two. We we adopted them, and and uh, they were in foster care. And I just want to tell you, let me just sidebar. Don't celebrate Roe v. Wade victory without having a heart to adopt. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go boom right there. Stop jumping up and down about Roe v. Wade being turned over if you don't have a heart that says, I will take that child. I've wept in my bed at night knowing there were teenagers that were going to get an abortion and I begged to give me the child. That was free. So we adopted James and Eli. Eli... I should have given him a picture, given him another slide. That's what you needed was another slide for me. Eli is like, he's this little blonde-headed kid. He never shuts up. He, he stands in front of the mirror singing How Great Thou Art. I mean, he's just, he's the coolest kid in the world. He really is. He has so much confidence. That's being nice. He's so confident. And it's awesome. Like, you know, he just, you know, he's just happy-go-lucky, free, happy kid because he's been delivered. James is a good kid too. Don't get me wrong. James is, but James is the older brother. And James saw more, went through more. Eli, he protected Eli. But James was sold. And, and, I, and listen, James knows I tell the story. I ask him for, for permission. I, I, don't, I, I never exploit him in any way. But I want you to understand how good God is. James was sold so his, so his birth mother could have drugs. That's what she did to him. And, and we didn't know any of that. Till we were like two years in, and it was brutal. And, and, and I'll just tell you, as a father listening to the story, I had so much hatred in my heart for that woman. I will not even describe to you because my wife is watching and she will get on to me what I was thinking, but it included a chainsaw. I'm, just, I'm being honest. I had so much hatred in my heart for that woman because that's my little boy. And those are real tears. And that's real pain. He, he meets with a psych- He's not meeting with a counselor. He's meeting with a psychologist. And, and, and he's going to get better. He's going to be great. Matter of fact, I believe he's going to be called to preach the, God, preach the word of God one day. Because we sit around the table after church on Sunday whenever I'm home. And my wife will do it today. And we'll ask the question, hey, what did you get from church today? And he has to go last. Because he's got everything, like, outlined, noted. You know, every blank is full notes on the side, reference scriptures. I mean, it's all there. And, and he'll just, and everybody says, well, let James go first. No, 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 no. Because you're just going to play off that. So that, that was real hate. About three days, I was getting ready to leave to go preach. He like coming here. I, I was fully aware, God, I, I cannot go with this on me. I, I felt horrible. My bones were aching. I was, I was sore. I, I was hurt. I was intensely in a battle to not hate her. And God reminded me of some things that he forgave me of that were pretty stinking evil too. And he said, Steve, I love her like I love you. But you need to pray for her. And I do. Honestly, with a clean heart, pray for her to know Jesus like I know Jesus. Because I know this. I know this. 
no mother in her right mind would have done what she did. I know that. And so I pray for her. But it's easy to sit back and look at David and say, well, man, he murdered somebody. We murder people all the time with our heart. And Jesus said it's the same. But I take him at his word. And so we need to be careful that we don't start placing ourselves, well, I would never do that. We do it all the time. And so David now has been confronted. And, and now what's going on in the inside is about to come out. So I want you to turn your Bibles to Psalm 51. And this, this, in context, this makes everything just come to life. And so I want you to understand why. We'll see it later in, this, in, the, in these verses. But why God said of David, he's a man after my own heart. It's because David knew the goodness of God. David knew the bigness of God. David knew, even in his heart when he was managing the sin, that God knew what he had done. And sooner or later, this was all going to be made right. All things would be made right. And if you want to find another picture of the phrase, all things have been made right, go to the cross when Jesus said, it is finished. All things are made right. And that's the, that's the life as a Christian I should desire is that all things are made right. And the only way for all things to be made right is through the blood of Jesus. We, we have to, I, we get in a mundane place, an apathetic place, and, and we forget the power of the blood of Jesus that saved us. We forget how bad off we were without him. And I, I don't care if you are the Sunday school kid that grew up in church. That, I call my wife the Sunday school girl. She traveled with Charles Stanley and sang. She's a very spiritual person. She has always been a spiritual person. She struggles with sin just like I struggle with sin. It looks different. But if we, if we ever lose sight, and we do, and it shows up in church, of not being a part of the ministry of reconciliation, then we've lost sight of why Jesus came. He did not just come just to save us and to set us free. He came to save the world. So let's watch David and see what happens to David after he's been confronted, after he's been given the, the curse that's going to happen to him. This is after that's happened. And he's, he's responding now. He's responding to God in praise. This is, this is him looking back and writing down the journey that took place with him and the Lord. He says, have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. The first thing I want you to see is David has a holy recognition of God's dominion. Those are big, churchy words. But dominion is simply this. You need to, you need to understand this in order to live the Christian life. God the Father has dominion over God the Son. That's why Jesus said he didn't say anything that didn't come from the Father. They are God in the same. God the, God the, Son, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But God the Son served God the Father. If you remember, Jesus said, I'm going to go away, and when I go away, I'm going to send you a helper. He will speak my words to you. And so God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in dominion. Then the church. The church comes under the Holy Spirit, and then the husband comes under the church, and then the wife comes under the husband, and the children comes under the wife and all the above. When we live outside of that, we are living outside of the plan of God and the blessings of God. Your heart will not be hot for God living outside of that dominion. We can make all the excuses you want to make. It, 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 your life is not going to be blessed. The dominion of God is imperative. And David knows that salvation always starts with God 
and finishes with God, and he knows that dealing with sin always starts with God and finishes with God. It, you just need to, that's, that's part of the dominion. It doesn't mean there's not other people involved that you need to seek out forgiveness, but you, you better believe this. You can seek forgiveness from your friends all you want to, but if you've never sought personally forgiveness from God, you're not. They're, they're, that's why the scripture is there. He's faithful and just if we confess and to him. It's imperative. Listen, I know in a church with people, there's this many people in there, I know that there's people, that this is routine. Oh, yeah, 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 man, I know that. But are you practicing that? Are you keeping the sin list short? Does sin really bother you? Does it bother you enough that you don't want to carry it around with you? Or has it become like a pet? Something you like to stroke and have in your lap all the time. The dominion, the holy recognition. David says, it's, have mercy on me, O God, according to his steadfast love. His love. It's his love that brings us to repentance. It's the goodness of God. It's always the goodness of God that brings us to repentance. When we recognize, I literally, I, I, between services, I'm sitting here, three people, I don't know what the decision was, but they came down to, to a, a, a gospel invitation to get saved. Three people. I, I am so unworthy to have any part of that. I know me. I know what's inside of me. I, there's no special, I, I, I don't have a card that I carry that says super Christian. I'm just a dude who has a horrible background that gets to stand up and talk about the goodness of God and, and teach his word. Jimmy said, I, I teach verse by verse. You know why? Because I can't say anything better. The, the, the word says more, much better than I could ever say at any time in any place. And so we, we have to understand that God initiates mercy for us to recognize his goodness, that we can approach him boldly and, and, and be right with him, make things right. So he understands that. He takes it to the next level. The next thing I want you to see is the depth of desire, I'm sorry, the spiritual consciousness of offering God, of, of offending God. He, he takes it to the next level of I've, not only have I sinned against you, but he says in verse 3, he says, for I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. I can't get away from this stuff, God. I know what I've done. I don't know about you, but I have things in my life. This is the thing that God used to remind me when I was struggling with, with, with my kid's birth mother. I know what I've done. And I listen, I'm fully confident I've been forgiven. But it's ever before me. I cannot erase it out of my life. And, I, and listen, there's been people, I've, I've made this statement, please don't. You, you, I'm just telling you, you're wasting your time when you come. Uh, there's been people coming and saying, man, you need to kind of put that in your past and just kind of put that out of your mind. I, I don't think so. I think the fact that it's ever before me reminds me of how good he is. I, I don't need to feel better about myself. I know myself. I'm just grateful God has any kind of heart towards me. So it's not about forgiving myself. I'm fully, I, I'm there. It's just ever before me. It's not going away. And it's not going to go away. It says, against you and only you I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. He's always justified in his word. And he's always blameless in his judgment. He's just. He will be right every single time. God will never not be right. Never. And, and, and let me just, uh, this is something that God gave me last week when I was studying this. I, I'm, I'm just going to tell you, there will never, we live in a world of victims. There will never be a time when God has to get right with you. 
Some of you say, well, that's obvious. No, you stop and step back and look at your life and how many times do you blame God or question God for something that happened in your life. There's nothing, no time ever that God will sit down and have to explain himself to you. It's just not. He's holy. He's perfect. He's not going to make mistakes. He's not unaware. There's big words for all those things, but I'm just telling you that's the reality of who he is. And David understands this, and he understands that the sin that he's committed is evil in the sight of the Lord. Sure, it's evil in the sight of man, but it's evil in the sight of the Lord. He said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in, in sin did my mother conceive me. And so we, we recognize in this, in this verse 3 through 5, we see David really pouring out his heart to God that, hey, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm going to struggle with sin for the rest of my life, but that does not excuse what I've done. There's a lot of people in the church that will take grace and use it like a credit card. They say, well, God's going to forgive me. Listen, if you're having to say before you do it, God will forgive you, you probably don't need to do what you're about to do. I'm just, I'm not a really smart guy, but I'm, I'm, pretty, sure, I'm pretty sure on that one I'm, I'm spot on. And, and it may not have as much impact on you as it does on the lost people standing around you who you might be writing their ticket to hell. So before you launch out with that attitude, understand there are implications to our actions. I live in that world. He lives in that world. Anybody, anybody that steps out to lead for God lives in that world. But so do you. Because we all have people in our lives that are watching us. They're looking for the real Jesus. And I'm not, I'm not saying this in a legalistic way. I'm saying this in a heartbroken way. They need us to live Jesus out before them. To be different. To love when others hate. To accept when others reject. To have compassion. To stand on truth. To not back up on our convictions. For convenience. David gets this. He gets the whole picture. So he's not making excuses. He's acknowledging, hey, I was born into sin, but that doesn't excuse my sin. And that's imperative that we get there as a church. Because so often we use our sinfulness as an excuse for our sin. It won't work with God. Because he's going to say, my son died for that sin, and I placed the Holy Spirit inside of you to guide you away from that sin. Not to take advantage of my grace. Now, you are going to sin, and when you sin, you get to, by grace and by God's mercy, come and ask for forgiveness, and you should, and you should do it quickly. And if anybody saw you, you should help them understand how wrong you were for doing that. That's what we should be doing. So David moves further, and this is where it gets really good. This is, this is where you find why he has a heart after God's own heart. Because David, in verse uh, 6 through 13, is going to say this. He says, he says uh, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. Let me, I'm just going to repeat that. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. Amen. And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. If you're a believer in this room, this, this ought to just be ringing true to you. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my, all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. And take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation. 
and uphold me with a willing spirit. David's heart is crying to God, make things right. And only you can do that. Verses 6 through 12. In verse 13, he explains why. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. When my heart cries out to God's heart, make things right between me and you. Whatever it takes, make it right. The result of that is going to be joy. We're going to see that in a minute. Overwhelming joy. That will overflow out of you joy to where people look at you like you're weird joy. You know what I'm saying? You want a biblical illustration of this? Luke chapter 18, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 19, uh, the beginning, when, when, when Jesus is entering into Jericho, and, and there's a whole, go on, just forget it. Jesus is entering into Jericho. What I was going to say, especially for you college students, you might have a professor that says there's a conflict there. Because blind Bartimaeus and Matthew and Mark, I just got to say this because the college students here, man, I'm sorry. In Matthew and Mark, it says Jesus was leaving Jericho when he ran into blind Bartimaeus. Okay? This is free too. Quick lesson. Remember what happened when Joshua crossed into the promised land? Who was the first people he encountered? Joshua. The walls of Jericho. Remember what he did? Walked around seven times, they fell down. That's the old Jericho. There's a new Jericho. Matthew and Mark write from the Jewish perspective. Luke is a Gentile doctor. He writes from the Gentile perspective. There's your problem solved. Jesus left the old Jericho and was walking into the new Jericho when when he ran into Bartimaeus. Take your professor to school on that one right there, okay? That was free. So here's the picture. Jesus asked blind Bartimaeus, what do you want? Blind Bartimaeus says, I want to see again. Meaning, if you say I want to see again, it means I've seen before. And we got some smart people up in here. All right, so he wanted his sight restored. It's a great picture of a Christian who's sitting on the side of the road, blinded by the world, who once knew the joy of their salvation, but now are crippled and blind and cannot do anything in the kingdom of God because they've fallen back into a sinful way. It's a great picture. Jesus said, your sight is restored. Then the scripture says of of blind Bartimaeus that he leapt with joy and praised the Lord, and as Jesus was walking into Jericho, the new Jericho, Who was waiting for him up in a tree? Zacchaeus. So what did Zacchaeus see? Blind Bartimaeus praising the Lord, walking and jumping and having a ball. That's what David is talking about here. When the heart is restored, the implications of that will have an impact on the people around you. They will know that you are of God and you are from God. And and, and even if they know you're not perfect, they'll know that you're forgiven. Forgiveness brings joy. I don't know about you, but it brings joy to my heart. I mean, I'll just tell you right now, if the mortgage company called me tonight, they don't even have to wait till tomorrow. They said, hey, we just want to let you know your loan debt to us is forgiven. I'm, pro- I'm father of eight, two going into college. you got one going to college, right? I got it times two. Tomorrow they start classes, so my checking account goes, whew, you know how that goes. Anyway, so joy is when we're forgiven. And David is regaining the joy in his forgiveness. Verse 14, he says, Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation, my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offering. 
the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. What I want you to see is the joy of deliverance. The joy of deliverance. That David is in a place. He, remember where he was. He fasted for, for days while his son was dying. He, he mourned. He watched his family fall apart. He saw things he never dreamed would happen. A son raping his daughter. A mess followed because of his choices, his sin, what he had to pursue. He pursued Bathsheba. It didn't just happen. He pursued it. He saw it. He wanted it. He went and got it. And then he pays a heavy price. Family is utterly split, destroyed. Nation suffering because of it. But his joy is restored. And despite the rightly earned consequences, he says, I will declare your name to the people. And God, I know what you require. A humble and contrite spirit and a broken heart over sin. So this is the answer. Here's the question. Is your heart broken over your sin? The stuff that we don't want anybody to know about. And I'm not saying you need to stand up in this room and confess. That's, that's not, that, that would be the most intimidating thing I could possibly say. I ain't saying that. I'm not saying you need to run back home and confess to 50 people. I, but you do need to confess to God. There are scriptures that will help you in James. Find somebody you can count on to talk to that you can be vulnerable with. I think that's a good thing in life, young people. That's a very good thing. Old people, too. I include myself in that last group. I have people that I can share with. Yeah, I, I find myself sharing with pastors that I, that I like. I don't share them with people I don't like. Y'all know I don't like it. Do y'all like every pastor you've ever had? Don't lie. We're in church. Okay? That's just people. It's a people problem. Nothing wrong with them. They just, you know, they don't gee how. They're not cool like us. You know? But I like your pastor. He's, he's, heard, he's heard things that I don't share with a lot of people. Because I, I know I can trust him. You've got people in your life that you can trust. You need to talk to them about that. You know why? Because they can hold you accountable. They see things going wrong, they can help you. They might also have some insight that you didn't even see. We, we were talking last night to a, a, a waitress and, and shared the gospel with her. And she made a statement about her parents, you know, pray for her parents because they were struggling and and she had been wayward. And I was sitting there, you know, just thinking, well, let me, let me give you another perspective. Uh, I'm the father of a daughter who ran for five years. She's home now. She's back. It took the death of my mother to, to get her back. But she's back, and it's good. It's awesome. And, man, God has restored the years. It's been an amazing journey. But it messed with that, this daddy's heart. So I'm sure your parents' hearts still mess with it a little bit. Keep living right and keep making right choices. And I bet they'll change their attitude. There's one for you, young people. Parents have a bad attitude. You might want to look in the mirror. Just a thought. I know that's, there's no way that's true, you know. Not you. Of course not. Be like Eli. How great thou art in the mirror. I'm like, you go sing the second chorus, son? Guys, God wants us to have the joy. He wants us to live in this place right here where David is. This place of desire for other people and joy in our relationship with him. 
just look in the mirror sometime and ask yourself what a lost person is looking for in you. How joyful are you in the Lord? Are you infectious? I didn't say obnoxious. I said infectious. Are you infectious? Because you've dealt with your sin, you, 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 you keep that list short. When you know when you've offended God, you don't want to walk in that. You don't want to live in that. You want to live in a right spirit. And by the way, let me just say this. You're not going to grow spiritually. You're not going to grow if you're trying to straddle the fence. You're trying to hang, hang on to some sin over here while you're trying to be righteous over here. You're not going to grow. You're going to struggle. Struggle's good. I made that clear last service. Struggle is very good. It's good to struggle. If you're struggling, that means something in you is resisting you. He's the Holy Spirit. You just say that. And it's good. But we've got to make sure and maintain the attitude that my sin is known by God and is offensive to God. All of it. All of it. The exaggerations, the lies, the attitudes, the judgment. Do you find yourself more offended by other people's sin than you are by your own sin? My sin offends me. I can get upset with the culture. I can be mad. But I, I, I recognize there's only one person I can handle and deal with. That's me. And my sin, my greatest problem is my sin, not somebody else's sin. And no one else is going to be judged for my sin, and I'm not going to be judged for anybody else's sin. Jesus said something about that in Matthew 7. Before I deal with some or go, go try to help somebody with their sin, I might want to make sure I've got all my sin taken care of first. The church, listen, the greatest challenge to a church being on fire for the Lord is sin. Sin is like water on the fire. And the whole church is one. It's one body. You're one body. It matters. Your sin matters. Because you're going to be less of you if you're hanging on to sin. You're going to be less effective as a follower inside this church if you're hanging on to sin. And I find it amazing how often I'll talk to people and they long to see revival in the church. And, and I, we had this conversation last night. We've got a whole generation coming along that's never seen revival. You realize that? The younger people in this, in this church have never truly seen a revival probably in their lifetime. And, and the people who have, we're getting really old. The, the, I'll just take it one step further. I know this church is different. I know this for a fact. This is a good church, by the way, if you're visiting. Not only has there been a generation that hadn't seen revival, there's a generation that's not seen church discipline. And it matters. There's a reason the church is the discipline. You mean, like, in front of everybody? 1 Timothy 2.19, I believe, is the scripture you're looking for. Yeah, because it brings fear to the body of Christ. A healthy fear, a godly fear. And it's only done in extreme cases, but there are always extreme cases. You've got a whole generation that's missing out on two very vital, important things in Scripture. That's longing to be in the presence of a holy God and dealing with sin the way the church should deal with sin. That does not give us a very bright future if we don't turn that around. And I'm grateful for this church and how you have. But we still need to see revival. And the way we're going to see revival is to start stop loving our sin and start seeing our sin like God sees our sin. It's a problem. And it's not just a problem for you. It's a problem for the people that are looking for Jesus. And that's our responsibility. Because we have a way out. We've been given the way out. And we should delight in that. We should run to that. We should want that. I don't know about you, 
but I want to have a great relationship with my wife. I'm not just saying that because she's watching. She knows that. And my favorite time of the day, every day when I'm home, is 8 o'clock because we sit on the couch. Now it's going to be 8.30. We sit on the couch, and everybody has to leave us alone. It's our date. It's our date time. It's us time. I ain't got no time for you. So 911 is on the phone. Call them if you need them. Leave us alone, okay? Why? Because I desire intimacy, folks. Not just the physical intimacy, the present intimacy, her being next to me. I want to be with her, close to her. That should be the desire of our heart with God. I want to be close to him. I want, I want, I want to not have to go far to find him. And sin is what ruins that, especially when I harbor it in my heart or I try to manage it and cover it up so nobody else will know. It destroys us, church. So I'm going to ask you right now, if you would, just to bow your heads and close your eyes. And as we look at this time and look in this, what God is saying to us, I want to remind you, John 6, 44 says this, no one no one, no one will come to me unless the spirit of him who sent me draws him. So just understand, I, I, I'm not going to stand here and beg you today. If the spirit of God is speaking to your heart, you need to listen. Do not harden your heart. Keep your heart tender. Maybe some of you in this room right now, you're in a place where if you were to have to answer this question, hey, are you going to spend eternity in heaven? You might hesitate. I'm, I, you know, I, I think so. Maybe so. I hope so. But the hesitation is because you're not sure. You're not confident. Let me just challenge you where you're at right there to understand this. God does not want you in that place. He says in 1 John 5, 12 and 13, he says, if you have the Son, you have life. If you have not the Son, you have not life. Verse 13, these things I've written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. God wants us to be confident in the knowledge of his presence in our life. So if you're not sure, what I would say is you, probably because you're not saved. But I'm going to let the Holy Spirit work that out. But right now, in your heart, if God has been speaking to you this whole time, He's opening the door of grace and mercy for you. If He's drawing you, He's opening the door of mercy and grace for you to walk through, but you have to walk through it. You have to do the things that are required by God to receive him. He doesn't require a lot. David just gave it to us. He wants a broken and contrite heart. He wants us to confess Jesus Christ as Lord. He wants us to acknowledge that our sins crucified Jesus. He wants us to believe in the resurrection. That's how he gives us life, is through the resurrection. And he wants us to surrender. To give everything up for Jesus. All control. And trust Jesus that he will, through his Holy Spirit, lead us and guide us through this life to live the life that he designed for us. The days that he wrote for us. So if that's the desire of your heart, to make all things right with God, as a new believer, as someone coming to him right now, pray. Pray. Something like this, say, Lord Jesus, 
Today I believe Jesus died for my sins. Today I believe Jesus came up out of the grave after dying for my sins. And today I know because your spirit has convicted me, my sin crucified Jesus. My choices, my loves, my passions, the things I wanted, that's what crucified Jesus. And I'm sorry. And I repent. I don't want to live that life anymore. I'm asking you for a new life, a clean heart. I'm asking you to renew in me a spirit. Bring unto me the spirit of forgiveness and the joy of that forgiveness. Give me life. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Thank you for setting me free. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. I'm going to give you in a moment of privacy. I'm not going to embarrass anybody, but I want to help you. I want to pray with you, and I want to help you. If you prayed that with me, the Spirit of God drew you today, and you've responded, and you prayed, and today you've just stepped across from death to life like three others did this morning, would you just raise your hand in privacy? Just hold your hand up. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, no one looking around. Just hold your hand up and say, today, that's me, Steve, today. Today, I, I, I gave my life to Jesus today. Hold it up. Don't be ashamed. Hold it up. Praise God. Anyone else? Holy before a holy God right now. We're, we're, we're in, a, in a place of gifting, of giving grace to cover all of our sin. Anyone else? Honest before a holy God. If you raise your hand, I'm going to ask you very simply, very privately, only those that raise their hands. Just look up here at me. Look right up here at me. Did you mean it? Were you serious? I'm going to ask you, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. This is a moment of privacy. I'm going to ask you, would you just stand right where you're at? And I'm going to ask you, if you as you stand, just come right down here. No one's looking. This is just y'all. Come on. Come on, we got some people that want to talk to you. I want to help you. You know, come on. It's okay. Yeah? It's okay. Come on down here, man. Greatest decision you've ever made, bud. Amen. You get a counselor, male counselor, female counselor. Amen. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. God is doing a work. I want to encourage you. Search your heart right now. Search your heart right now. What is that thing that's garnered your attention again? Or maybe it's the thing you've struggled with your whole life. And God has repeatedly said, let it go. Walk away from it. Get it out. You may, sin, you may struggle with the sin of gossip. God can change you. Whatever it is, I don't know. But here's what I do know. Do not let fear of what someone may think keep you from getting your heart right with God. Because if their heart is right with God, they're going to rejoice like heaven rejoices when sinners repent. Heaven's rejoicing now because two more people came. But I believe within this body there are people that are struggling with sin, pet sin. Or maybe it's huge stuff. It's all the same to God. Huge and pet is man's perception. Sin is God's perception. I wonder today if we can worship in spirit and truth, if we can experience that because 
instead of walking out of here like we came in, we bring that stuff to the altar and we create a, a clean heart. God creates a clean heart in us and we get to walk out of here changed. God, we're grateful for what you've done in this place already. I'm grateful for the souls you've saved, but God, there are Christians in this room whose affections and attentions are on things that are not of you. God, I pray you change that now. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I want you to look right up here at me, and we're going we're gonna to be done in a moment. I'm going to help some of you right now with something that, that you may be struggling with. What's that ring tell you about me? This is a simple question. What's that ring mean? I'm married. Am I still married? My wife is watching. You can almost hear her. Yes. So that ring doesn't marry me. But why do I wear it? To tell the world I'm married. When did I put it on? I put it on after I said I do. To that whole long list of things. It's pretty scary. This ring is like baptism. It's a symbol. Baptism doesn't save you, won't save you. But it's the first step of obedience. It's what you do after, the first thing you do after you give your life to Christ. After you say, I do. And it's a picture of the death and the burial and the resurrection. You're saying, I'm identifying with Jesus in the death and the burial and the resurrection. And you're saying, he told me to be baptized, and I'm getting baptized. I'm obeying. Now, I'm not going to embarrass anybody here because we don't have time. But I asked yesterday a young man who said he was pretty athletic to come up on the stage, and I asked him this very simple question, or, or gave him a very simple task. I said, I want you to take your second step before you take your first step. And he looked at me like every other confused person is looking at me right now, like, what are you talking about? You can't do that. Exactly. That's exactly the point. You can't take the second step in your journey with Jesus until you take the first step. And this is the first step. That's not a Baptist thing. That's a biblical thing. And Jesus, who did not need to be baptized, was baptized in obedience to the Father. The Father gave sign of obedience when the dove came down and the voice from heaven said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. So I'm going to encourage you. That's a sin problem. You're holding out. You're, you're disobeying. Get it right. Come see your pastor. Come see an elder. Say, hey, I need to get baptized. Watch what God does in your life when you step out on obedience. Watch the people around you that will go, wow. It must be real. We're going to worship. This altar's open. Pastor Jimmy's here. I'm here. There's others here. You need to talk. Come talk to us. You're struggling with what we just went through about salvation. Come see us. We'll talk to you. We want you to know when you leave here that you know, that you know, that you know. So let's stand and let's worship.